0: Obviously, they like that idea. Can you imagine? Justin asked me a couple of weeks ago, I have an idea on Christmas Sunday morning of just simply having a list of hymns and letting them pick them from the audience. Do you think it'll work? I said, you're on the stage, I'm in the audience somewhere, so give it a try. But you obviously like that, so I'm glad that you did. Just think how much time and energy that would save you if you just did it every Sunday. Just gave them a list and let them pick them, and then you don't have to practice, prepare, or anything. The thing that intrigued me the most was every time somebody picked a song, the words immediately appeared on the screen. Isn't that did that not intrigue you? Those guys are unbelievable in the back. Serve faithfully. I thought they slept here last night because it's the same group. I also, if you have children or anybody in the toddler side, make sure you thank them for coming together on Christmas morning. Some of them were still rubbing their eyes on their way in this morning to serve in a nursery, but make sure you thank them for doing that on today of all days. When Justin told me the idea, of the theme here this morning, a kind of a living room setting and made me think of what I said last night with all the traditions that many families share, my wife's family had a tradition on Christmas afternoon that after all the meal was done and everything was put away, they would get out that thousand-piece puzzle any of you have that tradition? And, and you put it together and you spend all afternoon. <laughs> there was no way with my impatience that I would ever sit down for five hours and put a puzzle together. But they would sit there for hours and put that puzzle together. And you wondered how on earth is it ever going to look like that picture on the box? And then all of a sudden, in an unbelievable way, that picture would appear. And I actually hid the last piece, so... <laughs> Not every year, but some years it's kind of fun when they're looking all over the house for that last piece and go, oh, I found it. and Put it in and all the time and energy that I spent on that puzzle and all the beauty that's there. I often wonder what it must have been like for Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men and everybody was involved in a Christmas story to wonder how on earth is all of this going to fit together when they didn't have the picture on the box. You ever wonder that what it must have been like in a christmas story from all of the participants vantage point to wonder how on earth is all this going to fit together what is god doing why is god doing this you and i after all these thousands of years and many times that we've gathered together in a christmas service know exactly why god did this and know what he did but i I often want to make sure that I go back in time and every time on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, I I try to imagine what it must have been like from their vantage point. They're walking through this for the very first time. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John under their arm going, oh yeah, that's right, that's what he was doing next. The 16, 17-year-old girl, pregnant by the Holy Spirit who obviously believed in God in phenomenal ways. Joseph, this older man, some say in his 30s, so in love with this girl that I believe he believed in her maybe even more than he believed in God. But at least believed in her as much as he believed in God. I mean, from Mary or Joseph's vantage point, especially Mary's vantage point, none of this can make sense. She hadn't completed the marriage ceremony. If you have heard the story before in Jewish culture, their, their commitment to one another, even though they didn't have the official marriage ceremony, wasn't, where, well, well, You know, we'll go together or maybe we'll get engaged and then see if we want to continue this process until we get married. They were committed to one another. There was no way they were breaking that relationship, but they hadn't had the official ceremony yet. The birth was in an occupied territory, not at home where she wanted to be. What, what lady who's about to have a child wants to have it in an unknown place? Or the hospital or in a hospital or a doctor she didn't know? The census had totally disrupted their plans. She was wanting to have the baby in Nazareth. who wouldn't? And now here she is in Bethlehem. This strange town without that normal support system, inadequate housing, no room in the inn, born in a stable? The Christmas story isn't just about them. Christmas story is about God's sovereign plan and purpose. Like the conductor of an amazing orchestra, God's plan begins to unfold. The Christmas message is an incredible series of miracles. I want to read two or three passages of Scripture this morning. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1. I'll begin at verse 18, and then we'll move over to Luke chapter 1. Last night, we read the story out of Luke chapter 2. If there's any more appropriate than on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning... Spend time in the word of God. Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her privately. Again, you see how that commitment was there when they used the word divorce. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus, because he'll save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it said, In the sixth month of Elizabeth, their relative's pregnancy, Elizabeth being the "'Mother of John the Baptist, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, "'to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, "'descendant of David. "'The virgin's name was Mary. "'The angel went to her and said, "'Greetings, you who are highly favored. "'The Lord is with you.' "'Mary was greatly troubled at these words "'and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. "'But the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary. "'You have found favor with God. "'You will conceive and give birth to a son. "'You are to call him Jesus.' You will be great and be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and it'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be? Mary asked, since I, haven't, since I am a virgin. The angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. So the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is gonna have a child in her old age. She who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. No word from God will ever, ever fail. What fascinates me about that passage, is you'll notice, twice, it says the Holy Spirit will come. You will conceive. You know what that means? It hadn't happened yet until she agreed. And then in the end, she says what? Lord, whatever you want to do, I'll do. It. And then the passage that we read last night out of Luke chapter 2 of the story itself. Next Sunday morning, when Pastor Ted shares, he's going to share out of the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer in that context talks about the timing of God. To everything there is a season, a time for every event. In verse 11, he says he has made everything beautiful in his time. <coughs> he has set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. There are 333 prophecies in the Old Testament, many of them fulfilled at the birth of Christ. Of all the continents, of all the countries, of all the regions, of all the provinces, of all the villages, God, hundreds of years before Christ, predicted Bethlehem. God said the Messiah would come from the nation of Israel, from the tribe of Judah, from the house of David. Isaiah said the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Micah said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. How on earth is God going to bring that child to that particular point? How will God orchestrate those events And as you read the pages of Scripture, you see him doing exactly what he said he would do. Some say for the very first time, the very first census in history, a decree went out that all the citizens should go back to their hometown. Julius Caesar had died before the time of Christ, and under him, everything was in turmoil. More civil war than at any other time in any other Roman emperor. But when Augustus Caesar came to the throne, peace settled in. Travel became safe. The tax census initiated by Augustus was kind of a way of showing his power. The real event that took place that night, you know, as well as I do, when the census was to be taken, was the birth of Christ. Announced by the angels to show really where the real power was. In Luke chapter 2, verse 3, it seems to indicate that Joseph seemed to have had some kind of property or at least certainly a connection to Bethlehem. It said everyone went to their own town To register, And so Joseph went up to Bethlehem. The thought that Joseph owned some property there in Bethlehem could kind of help us understand how on earth they could still be there when the wise men or the magi showed up one to two years after the birth of Christ. I mean, seriously, no one could stay with relatives that long. Today is the first time in 38 years of our married life that we're not traveling on Christmas Day and tomorrow as well for 38 years, we got after every Christmas Eve service, no matter how far away we were, or how late they went, we got in a van, packed up the kids and all our stuff, and went to somebody's house, to grandma's house, over the river and through the woods. Tonight and tomorrow, we're having all of our relatives come to our house. In a couple of weeks, I'll tell you how that went. But my mom called the other day and said, by the way, we're staying overnight. I said, at our house? She said, yeah. We don't want to travel home that late. I said, you're staying overnight at our house? She said, yeah. I said, okay. For the very first time, they stay in this context. Stay in Bethlehem. Two years later, you know the story, or at least one to two years later, the Magi showed up at the very place that God had orchestrated for them to be. It's fascinating when you study Scripture and recognize God's orchestration of events. In Luke chapter two, it said he went there with Mary and many wonder, why would you ever take her that late in the pregnancy? He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and expecting a child. Most tax laws would have required only the head of the household to come, but knowing the kind of man that Matthew seems to portray Joseph to be, I doubt if he'd have ever left her alone at that late stage in her pregnancy. Plus, the circumstances of the pregnancy probably deprived her of all of her friends. It also fulfilled the prediction that the Christ child would be born in Bethlehem. And so verse 6 of Luke chapter 2, while they were there, the time came for her to be born. Verse 7 of the same chapter, the son. No surprise, no sonogram, exactly as God said it would be. Exactly like the angel told them that it would. She laid him in a manger, Scripture tells us, most likely a, a stone feeding trough. Not that wooden crossbeam thing that we normally see, but most likely a, a stone feeding trough. Do you ever wonder why? Of all the places that Mary could have laid that baby, why a feeding trough? Why in that place? Well, think about it for a minute. Verse 12 says that when he talked to the angels that they or the shepherds, they would find him in a trough in a manger. How many of those places do you think there would be in Bethlehem that night? Only one. God had predicted it hundreds of years before. The angel declared it. God orchestrated it. So that very place, certainly there was no room for them in that inn because God wanted it to be there and knew exactly how to get the shepherds to find it. How many babies in a feeding trough would there be in Bethlehem that time of year? He laid them in swaddling clothes, long cloth strips used to, in many cases, keep babies' limbs straight. And interestingly enough, if you know the story used for burial. Extraordinary event in ordinary ways. Sometimes that's the way God works. year to year and a half later, some scriptures have different, or some theologians have different interpretations. The story unfolds in Matthew chapter 2 as the wise men who came from the east to come and adore him and worship him and bow down before him. They go, of course, to the temple where they assumed he would be and find out that he isn't there and, The star continues to lead them until they find him in that place in Bethlehem and they present to him their gold, their frankincense and their myrrh. What amazes me about this story is how God speaks our language. You see, these wise men were more than stargazers. They were students of the heaven. It was their life. They loved it. They they were doing what they loved doing. And every time I read the Christmas story and I, I recognize, even though we know as a Uh, A while later after Jesus was born and certainly that night when the shepherds show up and then when the magi come and we know the time frame is kind of shortened when we celebrate Christmas and certainly longer than that. But I'm still fascinated how God speaks our language, how God reaches down to us. How every other religion on the planet has somehow people trying to reach up to God to please him, to show him how good they are, to somehow seek his pleasure. And all the way through scripture, we have this amazing event where God reaches down to us. And in this case, in Matthew and Luke, speaking our language, whatever language that may be. The same with the shepherds. He, he spoke to them through the angels. The shepherds studied angels. It was a tradition with the shepherds that if he went out at night and watched the sheep and heard what he felt was a flutter of angels' wings, he'd have good luck that night while he was watching the sheep. The entire Christmas story, you see God reaching down to us, speaking our language. These magi traveled a long way, probably risking everything, danger and robbery, probably didn't travel that far to see their own king, but here they are in Jerusalem. Where is he, born king of the Jews? More thoughts race across the minds of humanity about Jesus than all the Napoleons and Caesars put together. He had more impact on humanity than any other person alive because he offers what no one else can offer. Others give us good teaching. Others offer us love. But Jesus is the only one who offers us eternal life. No matter what we try to stuff in that hole in our heart, the only thing that will ever fill it is Christ because he's the only one that will ever satisfy And so he came to speak our language, to invite us into his presence, to give us what no one else could like. No matter how far away we've been from God or how far away we think we are, no matter what we've done, when we come to our faith in Christ, as we all celebrated last night and this morning, we know that our lives have been turned upside down and changed forever. When the Magi came, they came, they saw, and they worshiped. And like we do when we gather together every Sunday morning, when you really experience Jesus in all of his fullness and be a recipient of his amazing grace, the thing you want to do is bow before him and worship. In their case, the Magi returned and went a different way, the end of that section of Scripture in Matthew tells us. And when you come to faith in Christ, you know and I know that we do walk a different road. Once we see Jesus, we're never the same again. I find it interesting that Jesus never, ever discusses the events of his coming. Nowhere in his 33 years of life on this earth does he ever talk about how he came. But he talks continually and constantly about why he came. And we celebrate once a year, every year, for one or two or three Sundays, how he came. But the rest of the year, the beauty of the Christian faith and the beauty of what we do is that we celebrate why he came, to rescue us and redeem us, to set us free. All these events orchestrated in perfect harmony by a God who loves us like crazy and left all the splendor of heaven so that we could have life and have it forever. This is an unbelievable story. I love reading. I love stories that I don't always know where the ending is going to be. I love watching movies that kind of keep me on edge till the end. And I enjoy those kinds of experiences when I walk through. And, and maybe sometimes every once in a while I'll, I'll read it again or watch it again. But very often do you do that. This story, no matter how many times I read it, no matter how many times I've rehearsed it, no matter how many times I've studied it, I still stand in awe of the fact that God loved us that much. That he gave his life so that we can have life and have it forever. That I don't have to reach up to God, I don't have to try to please him, I don't have to climb a mountain, cut my arms, or do anything to try to show God how sorry I am for what I've done. But that I can open up my life and open my, my arms and my eyes, and I can receive the King of Kings who came from heaven so that you and I can have life and have it forever. Now that a great story. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time, your desire to restore that broken relationship destroyed in the Garden of Eden, coming together again on the cross of Calvary so that someday we can spend all of eternity celebrating life with you. In the meantime, I am so grateful that you've left us this amazing story and give us the opportunity to rehearse it year after year, to never let it run dry or run cold. But be reminded of how amazing you are as you orchestrate our lives and the circumstances around us. A lot of us in this room this morning, when we look back over our own lives and see how you've placed people in and out of our lives like an amazing tapestry who love us and cared about us, who encouraged us, who shared with us the truth, who led us to Jesus, who prayed over us and for us. And we're all here this morning because of somebody else's life and someone else's influence, more than anyone, because of you. And so we do give you joy, we give you praise, we give you adoration. And we, like the Magi, we come and we bow and we worship and we adore you. And like them again, we walk a different road, knowing that because of Christ, we're never the same. We look forward to that day when everything is done and everything is ended on this earth, And we spend all of eternity giving you praise and adoration. Until then, we give you our lives. We give you our love. We give you our praise. We give you ourselves. And we come together and we worship you. On this Christmas day, in the name of Jesus, we pray.